When you look at this part of the Old Testament, Ruth is really the only story that's not like in the basic chronological sequence. Genesis merges into Exodus, which merges into Leviticus, all the way down to Second Kings, except for Ruth. It's kind of a story that's not in just the sequence, just going right from one into the next into the next. And Ruth is a really interesting story in itself and has some really cool applications and foreshadowings in it and, and just a lot of things to learn. So we're going to try to go through Ruth and then if we have time, work on some reflections on Ruth that I think will be helpful to us. Um, and the story basically tells itself, so let's go ahead and read Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. So, this is in the era of the judges, and... There is a, a famine that strikes the land of Israel. There's this man from Bethlehem who, because of the famine, goes to the land of Moab. Anybody know what the name Bethlehem means? It means house of bread. Rather ironic here because it failed to feed this family. Um, they go to the land of Moab. What was the origin of the Moabites? Lot and his daughter, so they are related to Israel. But the family, the people of Moab, in back in Deuteronomy 23, it mentions how they did not meet the Israelites with food and water when they came out of Egypt. They were unfriendly. You may even remember that the Moabite king tried to get the Israelites cursed. Remember that? Uh, when they were coming up toward Moab, who was the Moabite king? Balak. And he tried to use who to curse them? Balaam. So it's interesting that this family chooses to go to Moab to be uh, to find sustenance. And uh, they evidently do. I don't. There's some questions in the book that really are not asked or dealt with. The narrator here doesn't seem to be particularly concerned with the, you know, wisdom or foolishness of going to Moab and so forth. This is what happens. We're just kind of setting up the story. Now, uh, the man's name was what? Elimelech. Elimelech. Anybody know what Elimelech means? Got Eli. That's right, which would mean? Um, God. God. Lord or, yeah, yeah. God is king. Melech is king. Melchizedek, king. Of, so, God is king. But that's kind of ironic, too. Where's God in all this? You know, why do they have to leave the king's territory to be provided for in the famine? I think some of these names are very significant in just starting to raise some questions that the book is dealing with. 
So this the the count here is very uh, objective. It's Kendra. Hi, sir. Come on in. So, you know, the narrative is just very objective. You know, they, they go to the land of Moab. They've got two sons. Uh, and um, when when they go down there at some point, Elimelech dies. We're in Ruth chapter 1. And uh, the, the sons take Moabite wives. Orpah and Ruth, as often the less significant is mentioned first, they go about, they live about 10 years, neither of them have children, and these two boys die. So, wow, you know, not only um, were they not provided for in their own land, but it looks like God can't keep, you know, any Israelites alive in a foreign land. I mean, things are just going really, really badly in this whole situation. I mean, it's just kind of tragedy on top of tragedy. In five verses, they've had to move because of famine. The father died, both sons died, and there's no children to sustain the family. Does that remind you of anything else in the Old Testament? It's not quite as concentrated, but still... Job, yeah. Job's what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking Job's. Yeah, that too. But think about, you know, Job lost his possessions, lost his family. I mean, this isn't quite as abrupt, but she's almost like a female Job. I mean, she's pretty much lost everything Naomi has at this point. And the focus really is on her. Notice in verse 3. Now, it is not any longer Elimelech's wife as Naomi... uh, Elimelech was Naomi's husband. We kind of shift the emphasis to this really becomes Naomi's story. And she's just really in bad shape. I mean, you know, she doesn't really have anything. She ends up as kind of a one-woman remnant with no hope of, of the family surviving. And everything is kind of focused on her and her plight. Here's a family unit tottering on the verge of extinction. Here's a woman who's basically had everything she you would ever want in life taken away from her. You know, poor Naomi. That, and again, this section is just setting up the background for the story. You know, this is, there's not much commentary. There's not really discussion on the morality of any of this. This is just saying, <clears throat> here's Naomi's situation, and here's what led to it. So, comments and questions on those five verses. All right, well, Naomi makes the decision to go back home, six to ten. Then she arose with the daughters in law, and that, that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she departed from the place where she was, her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in his house of their husband. Then, Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we shall surely return with you to your people. Okay. 
So Naomi makes the decision to go back to Bethlehem from Moab. Why does she decide to do that? How does she describe that? Or how is it described here? She had heard that the Lord had visited his people. Isn't that interesting? She hasn't heard the famine is over. Yes, that's what she's heard. But she's heard it in terms of the Lord has come and blessed the people with food again. One of the things you're going to see in Ruth is a great deal of focus on the Lord as being the one who gives and takes. You know, he is the one responsible. Remind you again of Job. The Lord gave, the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So she has heard that the Lord has restocked the house of bread. And that there's food back there again. And she decides to go back there. Who decides to go with her? Her daughters. Her daughters-in-law. Now you'll notice that much of the book of Ruth is in dialogue. A lot of the story is just uh, from the things that the... Uh, characters say and so in verse 8 her daughters-in-law are going back with her and Naomi says no go return each of you to her mother's house you know you'll be better off going back home just as she actually was doing and she says may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me now that's an interesting thing for Naomi to say What's kind of shocking in her cultural context about saying what she did about the Lord here? What is that assuming about the Lord? That would not have been a common assumption in her day and time. That he would deal kindly with a foreigner. Not only that, you're very warm. That the foreigner would want them to deal kindly with him. Not just that that it's more than a God of one nation, it's a God of all nations. Yes, exactly. That the Lord would have the ability to bless somebody in the land of Moab. From the pagan standpoint, that wasn't the Lord's jurisdiction. You know, he's reigning over Israel, but could he actually bless somebody who was in Moab? Well, that's what Naomi assumes. She assumes that all blessings come from him, and that he controls not only food, but he'd be able to bless them in other ways, and that he's able to bless them even in the land of Moab, which, is, of course, is exactly right. God's in charge of everywhere. And uh, she says, May the Lord grant you that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. That is, she's hoping by going back to their mother's house, they'll be able to find new husbands. That's a big deal. You know, a woman needs a husband in their culture to provide security and to provide children. And, uh, you know, Naomi recognizes that they have been very kind to her. You know, when their husbands died, they didn't abandon their ex-mother-in-law. You know, a lot of people would. They wouldn't have any more tie to her, no more reason to stay with her. But they were concerned about her, and they had stayed with her. And, and, And now that she says... Go on back home. They 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 wept and they said, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. What do you think about those two saying that? Seem pretty attached. Pretty attached. Yes, pretty loyal. Loyal. 
What will they be giving up to go back with Naomi? With their own family. Their own family and homeland and probably the chance to remarry since it's not as likely they're going to find some Israelite man perhaps back in the land of Israel willing to marry a foreigner. You would assume that would be more difficult as well. And I mean, being able to remarry is a huge thing because having children is a huge thing. Uh, so they're willing to give up a, a lot just to stick with their ex-mother-in-law and go back to her homeland. I think that speaks really well of those two daughters-in-law. They, they seem very uh, loyal is, a, I think, a good, good term for them. Thoughts and comments on this? Eleven to fourteen. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters, why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Okay. Well, Naomi won't take uh, uh, no for an answer here. <laughs> you know, she said, return my daughters. You know, you need to go back. Now, what is Naomi's motive for trying to get her daughters-in-law to go back and stay in the land of Moab? Their best interest. Exactly. Really, she is not thinking about what would be better for her. She's thinking it's going to be better for them to stay in Moab. I think a good unselfish attitude on her part. After all, she's empty. She has nothing else to offer them. Especially, what does she not have for them? Somebody to marry. Sons. They need husbands. But Naomi is old doesn't have a husband, doesn't have children. She said, what if I got married tonight? She has no prospects of that. What if I had a child nine months from now and she has no prospects of that? Would you really wait till they grew up before you'd bury him? I mean, you'd be an old maid by then. You know, so, I mean, they've already been married, remember, for ten years. And I don't know how long it's been after the husbands died. I mean, so they're not just children at this point by any means. So, I mean, it just doesn't make sense for them to stay with her. You know, if by some miracle she finds a husband and conceives, that's for another generation, that's not for them. But she also makes the comment, which is very interesting, in verse 13, Know my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. How does Naomi see these tragedies? Has God abandoned Maybe even more. Yeah, I think so. The hand of the Lord has been against me. She sees, the good in that is she sees God's the one in charge. She doesn't say, you know, I've just had a string of bad luck. <laughs> you know, this is the Lord. And she believes God's in control of everything. And, but she, it's, it's almost like 
she doesn't think it would be wise to get anywhere close to her. Who knows what else she's going to face from the Lord. And if you're close, you may be, a, you know, hitting the fallout or something like that. You know, the same thing is to try to distance yourself from God's target. And, uh, you know, they shouldn't have to bear the burden the Lord's put on her. She's pretty negative about all this. But I am impressed with the fact she does see that the Lord's hands in everything. But what's the attitude of the ex-daughters-in-law? They wept. They wept, and then? Poor kissed her goodbye. And Ruth? Okay, so they part ways. Orpa listens, and she is very, you know... Concerned, she weeps, she kisses her, and all that, but she goes back home. How do you view what Orpa did there? Sensible. That would be my word. It was sensible. She listened to the voice of reason, and she did the thing that made sense for her. I don't think there's a lot to criticize in what Orpa did. That made a lot of sense. She picked up and was going with Naomi. The first time Naomi said, go back to your home, she said, no, I'm staying with you. When Naomi again insists, with some reluctance and concern for her, she does go back. I don't think there's you know anything especially sinister in this. In fact... I'm really impressed with Orpah's overall attitude. She's been very loyal to Naomi, but it doesn't make sense to go back with Naomi. Naomi's insisting that she stay in Moab, so she does. So I don't think the text is trying to criticize Orpah, but I think it shows and highlights the extraordinary loyalty and commitment of Ruth. You know, contrary to all that's sensible and reasonable and any normal person would do, Ruth says, I will stay with you. She does not leave. She clings to her. You know, the same thing that is causing Orpah to leave is causing Ruth to stay. Naomi has no husband or children, and Ruth is concerned for her. You can understand Orpah very well. But the person to imitate here is Ruth. You know, she leaves everything except Naomi. I'm just extremely impressed with that in Ruth. And I really do think it helps us to be especially impressed with Ruth when we see what Orpah did. And we see how reasonable it was what Orpah did. Well, of course, that makes perfect sense. In fact, she, I would have done it the first time, you know, Naomi suggested it. And uh, yet Ruth will not leave. Thoughts and comments on this? I think the fact that Orpah left would have made it even easier for Ruth to leave. Well, yeah! I would expect either both of them to go all the way or both of them to go back. But yes. Ruth still stuck it out. Good point. It's easy to look at the two of them, though, too, and think that, that they're somehow related. You know, the two of them women would have been 
no relation. They're both Moabites, but yeah, you're right. Right. They're nothing to each other at the moment. Exactly. (laughs) They used to be sisters-in-law. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So who knows, you know, any any of that information or detail. Yeah, I agree. It's just one of those things that when one of them, you know, goes, it's kind of easy for, you know, two people to do the same thing. And I mean, if Orpah's leaving her ex-mother-in-law... You know, Ruth could do the same thing and like, you know, she's not just striking out on her own to do that. But yeah, you're right. There's not necessarily any particular, you know, connection between those two. And clearly wasn't in the destiny here. All right, 15 to 18. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. The, the third time Naomi insists with Ruth, and she uses Orpah's example. Your ex-sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. You go too. You know, follow the crowd, you know. Uh, it, it makes sense what she did. You need to go and do what she did. And Ruth says... really strongly, right? And she's like, I am with you. You know, I will go with you. I will lodge with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I'll die with you. I'll be buried with you. You know, I mean, we're going through this whole thing together and you're not getting rid of me. And, uh, wow. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive. I mean... This is a pretty radical commitment. She is breaking ties. She is, you know, transforming her life. She is sacrificing herself to stay with Naomi. And then she takes a vow. She says, may God do to me and worse. That was a typical way they'd say, may God bring the worst on me if anything but death separates us. Now, once she does that, once she takes a vow in the name of God not to leave, then would it be right for Naomi to encourage her to leave? She's going to be in big trouble if she breaks this vow. And so at this point, Naomi accepts. You know, she knows that that Ruth can't renege on her commitment. But that was just, uh, that was really pretty impressive. We're going to, if we have time at the end today or, or next time we get together or whatever, We'll, we'll look some at, you know, just that kind of commitment that Ruth made. Because as you can already see, wow, isn't this a wonderful statement of commitment that you could think about in connection with our commitment to the Lord? You know, we ought to have more commitment to the Lord even than an ex-daughter-in-law would have to an ex-mother-in-law. And yet this is, this is an amazing statement. And, and, and I think that you're going to see that this is Ruth. This wasn't just something she said. This was something she was living out and was going to live out. She was sticking with Naomi and she was not going to leave her. Thoughts and comments? 
it's cool the kind of influence that Naomi has had on um, Ruth because now she's swearing by this guy that wouldn't have been her guy. Um, you're right. Being the foreigner, being the mob. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, I think, you know, isn't it kind of interesting? I mean, we don't know all the dynamics. But if I was going to stay with an ex-mother-in-law, I think Naomi would be the kind of ex-mother-in-law I would want to stay with. Because she has been unselfishly concerned with Ruth and Orpah. It would be easy for her in this situation to say, listen, poor me, I really need you guys. I mean, everything's against me, and now if you leave me too, think of what's going to happen to me. Wouldn't there be a lot of ex-mother-in-laws who would probably act that way, who would be thinking about themselves, who would be trying to manipulate, you know, Orpah and Ruth into staying? Naomi was just the opposite. She's saying, this is bad for you guys. Do what, you girls, you know, do what's best for you all. And, and so she is the kind of person that you would want to be committed to in that sense. Well, what benefit would Ruth expect to be able to give to Naomi? Like, I think company and taking care of her. You know, Naomi's older. You know, she is a widow. Ruth is too, but at least she's younger and stronger. Maybe she'll be able to do something to provide for her, to help her. You know, I mean, can you imagine her just trudging back to Bethlehem all by herself? Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Okay. 19 to 22. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. So they get to Bethlehem, and what's everybody saying? Yeah, wow! It's been a while. Remember, these the sons had been married for ten years before they died. I don't know how long it was from the time they left till the time those boys married. I don't know how long it was from the time of their death until Naomi comes back. But ten years minimum. Maybe several years more than that. So it's like, oh, wow, Naomi's back. Is that you, Naomi? You know, it's been a long time. And what does she say about this? Call me Laura. Yeah, my name's not Naomi anymore. <laughs> you know what Naomi means? Pleasant. Pleasant. You know what Mara means? Bitter. Bitter. <laughs> I'm, I'm, there's nothing pleasant about my life. You know, call me bitter, because <laughs> uh, this is, I've had to endure bitter circumstances. Uh, that's kind of funny. She says, call me Mara, but nobody in the book ever does. Thirteen more times after this, she's called Naomi, so uh, so much for her trying to change her name on her own. <laughs> uh, now, she says, you know, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Was that exactly right? 
What is she ignoring? Ruth. Ruth, yeah. As if Ruth weren't there at all. You know, isn't that the way you get, though? When things are bad, don't you tend to exaggerate it and make it even worse in your mind than what they are? You know, I think that's kind of a human tendency. And the fact that she said she went out full when she went out because there was a family. <laughs> good point. <laughs> she was kind of, I thought about that. That's a good point. She kind of empty when she went out, too, wasn't she? <laughs> yeah. So, but, but we do do that. You know, either everything's wonderful or everything's against me. Woe is me. And uh, so what does she think has happened to her? Yeah. The Lord Almighty has afflicted me. At, to the good of her in that, she's not thinking it's the heathen gods. You know, on the gods of Moab. It wasn't accidents. But she's pretty bitter about it. It's pretty... She thinks uh, it's a punishment. Yeah, she does. And she's pretty unhappy with the Lord about it. And she feels probably like, what have I done? Exactly. What's good in that? Besides the fact she knows it's the Lord, not, you know, chance. What else is good in that? Well, I think when that happens, you tend to humble yourself more. And, you know, maybe you will think of a mistake you made and think, okay, maybe all these bad things happen. I'm not saying her, but in general, you might think, well, maybe this mistake I made has caused... Which is a good thing to reflect on, at least, in difficult times. I'm thinking about something else. What can you, what is she, she is very what? That's a good thing. What? Enduring. Yeah? I'm thinking of something else. You could really see this in her. She is extremely honest. She is not hiding what she's thinking. And there's something to be said for honesty. I wouldn't say everything about her attitude is perfect, but she's honest. Can you think of some other Bible characters that while they may not have been perfect, they were at least extremely honest? Job. Job. She reminds you again of a female Job who said some very harsh things to the Lord, but he was honest and he said them to the Lord. Who else said things like that? David. David in some of the Psalms. And who else would be very honest and bitter at times in the Old Testament. Was it Asaph in Psalm 73? Asaph, yes, I hadn't thought about him, but you're right. I'm thinking about another character who reminds me, in some cases, very much of Job, even in what he said. Jeremiah. Jeremiah has some things pretty frank to say. And the good thing about that is... You know, it's better to be honest than to hide. I'm not saying everything about Naomi's attitude was great, but she isn't trying to cover it up and pretend she's better than what she is. So Ruth is a model of devotion here. Naomi's a model of utter utter uh, honesty. So she comes back, and they come to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, there are then these two things that are rays of hope at the end of chapter 1. She's got Ruth, and she's got the beginning of the harvest. God has not brought her back empty. You know, it's like, what a coincidence. They happen to arrive right at the beginning of the barley harvest. Or will they find food in the house of bread that the Lord is providing for them? So you end this chapter on a more hopeful note. Thoughts and comments on chapter 1. 
talking about all the honesty of Naomi. Yeah, at the same time, we also talked about how she said that she came out, left with everything, came back with nothing. She's Naomi. honest about how she feels. She's not hiding what she it. feels. Not necessarily that she perceives this correctly. I think she does not. Yeah, good point. Do you think she is possibly right that God is dealing bad with her? Or do you think that it's just misfortune? You know, I don't think that there's anything in the book to necessarily tell us if there was some chastening of God in this or not. But what we're going to see in the book is these bad circumstances actually went together to produce a wonderful result. So whatever caused it, God can work all things together for good to people. And so I think there's several question marks I have in this first chapter about was this really right? Was this really good? And the book just doesn't really deal with it. It's just really setting up kind of a scenario to show us the hand of God and the providence of God and how God can work in very bleak situations to accomplish unbelievable things that you never expect. Other thoughts? I think it's cool how um, when she was immersed into the pagan culture of the Moabites, um, that she never lost her faith. That she still had it so much that even her daughter-in-law switched. Excellent point. I agree. Yeah, because it's tempting when we're surrounded by people who believe differently. It's tempting to switch our faith, and clearly Naomi hadn't done that, and at least Ruth was essentially converted to that. Yeah. Good point. All right, chapter two, verses one to seven. <clears throat> 